Well, welcome everyone to episode 27 of Room of Requirement, our podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrao, and with me, as always, is... Miracle Jones. Coming to you from Jackson Heights. Uh, I guess this is uh, Mueller Day, Indictment Day. It is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Indictment Day. Uh, Before we slip into politics, though, I just want to... Uh, talk a little bit about us, and uh, we like to always check in, see how each other is doing. So, Miracle Jones, how was your week? It was not bad. You know, I was I was uh, just in the neighborhood and working on stuff, writing, and I don't know, applying for jobs. And it's, yeah, I don't know, I've kind of hit a groove. Just been running a lot, and that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's you're have to like you have to take advantage of this like weather that's unseasonably warm. Yeah, this, this is my favorite time of year. So perfect running yeah, weather. Yeah. And, I, I love Halloween, so we had a party last week. And oh, that's cool. Nice. Do you have a costume you go to? Yeah, this year I went. I got some like contact lenses that blacked out my eyes. Oh, I think you and told me about I this. wore a tracksuit and I just went as health goth. Okay. Which is you know the finest fashion uh, craze of 2015. Sure, sure. <laughs> is it like a fashion craze of one? <laughs> yeah, I mean I think so at this point. I think I've always been health goth, but I'm glad to be recognized now. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Because yeah. I mean. What you lack in numbers, you make up for intensity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know the last time I actually dressed up for Halloween, actually. I think it's been a while. Do you like Halloween? I do like Halloween. Yeah, I genuinely like Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, uh, I've wanted to... I always want to um, do this thing where I get to grow a mustache, but my wife hates <laughs> facial hair. Because I, I feel like my perfect costume is to, like... Uh, put on like a walking dead sheriff's uniform and grow a mustache and then i would be the guy um uh, from super troopers <laughs> it's like the costume i wanted for years uh but i can't grow and i, uh, I refuse to do the, the fake mustache you can grow a mustache you have plenty of like you have like a nice full sure, beard sure sure i could yeah but my wife doesn't like it so <laughs> she gets veto she gets the veto power so. what you gotta do is grow i mean she, does she not like the mustache no, she doesn't like facial hair. No facial hair. Yeah, yeah. Because you could grow a full beard and then just like shave for that day. Just yeah, no, no, mustache no, no. Yeah, mustache, beard. It's all, it's all crap to her. Yeah. I've never seen you anything but pretty clean shaven. I think you have like a vacation beard a little bit, right? Now. Yeah. Right yeah. now, I have like a little bit of a vacation beard, but that I think this is only a couple of days. Yeah. So like, I don't know. You look good with the beard. I know? I would like to think so. I think it's. Uh, I have a. I just saw an old picture of my dad with a beard. Um, just uh, on Facebook floating around and it's uh, yeah he looks great in a beard and I'd like to think I inherited those genes but uh, maybe I didn't um, I've got like a, my beard comes in kind of reddish oh okay and it, it doesn't come in on the sides like right here yeah. so I just look deranged it just doesn't work at all I had one in college and it was uh, bad news <laughs> I saw this thing on Twitter about like oh okay your Halloween costume is sexy plus your worst fear and I realized that that would be for me like sexy inability to support their fa- my family in time of need. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's that's my, that's my Halloween costume. Sexy layabout. <laughs> <laughs> sexy failure to support my loved ones. Yeah. <laughs> Hot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a costume that more or less just you know it makes itself. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, so, uh, how's the job search, everything else going all right? Yeah, no, it really is. Like, there's some opportunities that I've opened up. So I've fixed up my resume and got it in pretty good shape. I know. Uh, Feeling all right about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think I think something's going to come along, and I, I feel like I'm going to end up in better shape than I started. This yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm optimistic. And sure. I don't know. It, uh it, it's it's a great time to be in New York. I, yeah, I it really it. is. I love it here. So, um, my my mood is high. And that's that's <laughs> the mood meter is up. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I was gonna say so. I I just got back from traveling. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. We tried to uh, record a po- podcast while I was overseas, but it didn't work out. Um, but now I'm back um, from France. I guess I can talk about. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, France is great. My wife. Uh, we just had dinner, uh, the three of us, my wife, myself, and, and Miracle Jones, and uh, we were just talking about it. My wife certainly loved it. She loved the food. Uh, it is a very civilized country. <laughs> it is a lovely place to visit, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, what you were telling me about your... So you were working there. So you were I was working there. Yeah. So I work for a French company now. So I, I work for the week, but I, uh, the company encourages you know companion travel to the extent that they can so i brought my wife with me and she stayed with me and during the day she she saw throughout throughout paris and i i got to work so you can't really know a place to work there yeah uh, what did you kind of glean from france having spent at least just one week you know working working inside it what do you what do i think i glean yeah just like culturally was there anything new or different that well you... i think in some ways like it was just a really modern country like it yeah. didn't feel really any different from working for an equivalent um maybe organization in america like i often say that you know I, like i work uh, for a large conglomerate or a large company but uh, and maybe the work lifestyle isn't quite as intense in, in as in the u.s but for the most part it's pretty similar i think work culture is really similar maybe a language or an accent here or there a lot of the same kind of issues even the same vocabulary um i'm surprised how how kind of global modern corporate life is actually so the only French Spain is mandatory dessert. <laughs> there, there were little things. Don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, the cafeteria again, kind of great. Um, I could get uh, like uh, like these little shots of like delicious hot chocolate from the vending machine for like thirty euro, thirty thirty cents. Like it was super super fix. cheap. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So what can you get for like fifty cents in America out of the vending machine from a corporation? Uh, not that much. So yeah, there there like were small like things. a quarter of a subway ride. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but like I had to commute to work. It was like a really crowded subway. People smelled bad, but that's true for New York. Like it really like the working day in a lot of ways did not in any way differ from just a New York working day, especially if you're used to in my case the financial sector. So um, yeah, very very similar. I don't know how they managed to combine that with the very late dinners, mm. but which I feel like is part of French or Parisian life. I'm not exactly sure how they pulled that off. Do people show up to work on time? Was yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. So I guess just speed. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the go-go huge. Macron cocaine. You're right. right. It's, it's, yeah, the Macron years where we know for like meth. Yeah. And like some cocktail of meth and coke. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. But if, if you got universal health care, you know, fucking live it up. <laughs> right. Burn right. it down. You know, right, both right, ends. Right. Why they're so thin? That's yeah. why I love to eat so much. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say, actually, is like... Uh, 
you know, I, I've actually traveled a fair amount in the past uh, couple of years, at least since you've known me. Um, and I, in general, I think I and my wife, we really like to travel a lot. But you're someone who doesn't travel that much. And I, I want to figure out how to get you to travel because I think you really I like it. I mean, I've never been out of the United States. Yeah, uh, you've never been out of the, You've never had a passport, never right? never had a passport. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I long to. I feel like George Bailey. Uh, I really did. Well, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. <laughs> I keep yeah. trying. One of my all-time <laughs> heroes. So, yeah. um, I just want to figure out how we can get you out of... Out of uh, yeah, I'm all, I can fit falls. in a suitcase, you know. Yeah, I'm very small. Yeah. Um, so, and I think it, like uh, often travel is a the delimiter is both time and money, right? So, like that, I think that's hard if you don't come from or you haven't figured it out. Like if you don't have a lot of spare cash, then it is hard to travel. But I feel like one of the first things you should do when you have just a little bit of spare cash is, is travel. Split. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely yeah. want to. Like, I think my dream would be to just, like, live in hotels. If I ever, like, make it as a writer, I'm just going to travel a lot and do speeches and just live out of a suitcase and yeah. see shit. I'd love to do that. I'd love to go on tour. There's so many, you know, I, I really do enjoy traveling. The yeah. that I've done in the United States, you know, going places. But for me, I've always had to, whenever I want to visit a place, I've always had to, like, work there. So I basically move there. Sure, so sure. I've lived and worked in a lot of places, but traveling is not something I've done very often. And, you know, as I was saying this, actually, I, I may be thinking I'm wrong because I feel like if you are actually afforded a, an, uh, an opportunity to travel overseas, you would have been one of those horrible people that comes back with, like, a, a faux French accent <laughs> or, or a just, like, waving <laughs> co-opted yeah, by, yeah. like, Another country you've been so impressed by fucking I don't know Andalusia. I'm a rube. I'm a rube. It would not. It would not wear well. (laughs) You've been so sucked in by the foreign culture. You've just been intolerable when you came back to the U.S. Yeah, I would be terrible. Yeah. So, um, but for the grace of God. Yeah. 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 I mean, you should go to France. I think you'd really love it. Um, It's great. But um, I'm glad you didn't do it in college. Nowhere. <laughs> bad, bad mustache and a beret. We used to go to the desert in college. That was our, you know, equivalent. You know, for if you got in a car and drove for eight hours, you'd end up in the desert. And yeah. So we'd spend a couple weeks out there, which we, it was basically a free vacation. You're in the desert. You can't spend money there. So it's like whatever you take. <laughs> it was like you'd save money. Right, the cost right. of living is way lower. Right. You can you buy you know plate of food for two bucks out in uh, Terlingua. So. It was it was a nice little vacation. <laughs> um, okay. well, on that note, um, anything else in terms of personal stuff? No, no. I mean, it's ah. good to see. I'm glad you're back. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm glad to be glad back. Everybody's back safe. I'm not sure my wife missed New York, but I certainly did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just it's you know the routine, the rhythm of sure, the city. Yeah, now yeah. it's time to be in New York. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Everybody's coming here, but uh, yeah. So right. it's a big day. Right? Yeah, we wanted to record this today, um, and we want to talk about politics, and we want to talk about Bob Mueller and the indictments. Um, a lot of we were recording this on the thirtieth of Monday, two thousand seventeen. So this is the day that Bob Mueller finally announced some of the, if not the conclusion, some of the results of his initial investigations. He's, uh, I guess he. Announced the uh, indictments on Friday. I think he made clear today yeah. exactly whom he had indicted. Yeah, they were actually arrested. Today. They were actually arrested today. So um, I think there's a lot to talk about. Um, but I wanted to see if you had some initial thoughts, and also I think we had some. Uh, I think we shared kind of a, a sense of what we would want to focus on, which isn't necessarily the indictments themselves. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, it feels like a historical moment. I mean, I, yeah. I feel like it, along with Charlottesville, this is a watershed moment in the Trump administration. Yeah, I was going to say Deep State Radio, which is a David Roth co- uh, podcast. He it's pretty good. I would recommend it. He, I think their latest episode is titled "The Beginning of the End of." <laughs> Of President Trump, I wouldn't go that far. I would not either. But it's a, uh, it's, it still feels like the combination of at least something. Like yeah. I feel like in some way justice is happening, which hasn't really been true for the past, you know, ten months in my heart and soul. So sure. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. But I think you know, it's the wheels of justice. Are, uh, we need to be reminded are slow. They're slow. They even slow. even when they work, they're slow. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there were some things that just felt clear, like Manafort's ties to Viktor Yanukovych were really problematic when they were happening back then. You know, <laughs> like now that yeah. that's all being investigated and coming yeah. out, it does feel like some kind sure. of vindication as far as like what you can get away with as an American political operative. Right. So I'm glad for that. Uh, I think in this podcast, what we try to do is is uh, trying to separate what we th- what gets talked about with what we think needs to be talked about yeah, right absolutely sure. so uh, and we're not we're not an NPR news we can't report on the news every four minutes yeah. um, so I think there's and I think we like to think about separating sort of the wheat from the chaff what's important versus what gets a lot of attention and especially now when we have a Twitter presidency it's really <laughs> important to kind of be able to separate noise from signal to borrow a phrase and I think the thing that we were talking about before we started recording was it. What's really important out of this is what's our reaction going forward. Mm-hmm. It's. I think so much of the left focuses on trying to indict Trump uh, or uh, effectively rule his presidency illegal or invalid. But what I think is lost is the idea that whatever was thrown at us, we didn't deal well with and in 2016 and there is no indication whatsoever that we have shored our defenses since then right so um i would love to talk about that with you no for sure so you're talking about not so much who was responsible but the way that it took place sure the the way the internet was weaponized in order to deliver certain i think yeah i wouldn't i also wouldn't rule out who was responsible obviously russia being one of our uh, chief frenemies and yeah, ally enemies, um, and really was able to use limited resources to um, either influence our political process or, or at least cast doubt on our political process or throw a pall over it. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been reading about the French Revolution, this uh, dead, specifically Carlyle's French Revolution, mm-hmm. which is about it's more of a prose poem, kind of about um, events. But it's all about the new burgeoning technology of the diurnalists, right? The journalists. Yeah. Uh, and everybody had their own newspaper. The Bourbons kind of loosened free speech restrictions. And sure. Everybody was printing from Marat to Desmoulins. Yeah. They all had their own little newspaper. And it was yeah. new. And there were zero immunities. for the, And the people had no kind of conception of the ability to like lie with print yeah if I'll, it was written down it must be true right and sure he was saying it it must be like important uh and i feel like we've kind of reached a similar age in which we believe things if they're shared widely if they have a lot of comments if they sure. if people are focusing on if they're the thing people are focusing on we tend to take it for granted that it's true that it's yeah. that it is important that the level of attention being paid to it is commensurate with how true or important yeah it is. how how 
how highly it's featured, right. or, which is something new. We did, you know, that we didn't really used to know the circulation of a very of a specific article. Right. You'd understand like the newspaper, the headline was the most important thing, right? Right. Now we choose our own headlines by deciding what to focus on, and yeah. it can be manipulated by you know. Well, and I think bots by. A, sure, absolutely, in our and our uh, the process of how a social network decides what news is important, right? I mean, you're getting or what's profitable, right? Yeah. Absolutely, but I mean, I think a lot of times if you're getting your news from a feed like Facebook, it is about what your friends are are listening to and how often, or the number of, or the frequency of that a given article or a given event is forwarded to you by your friends, right? Um, so now, the whoever cultivates the news or whoever curates the news has become a little closer to home, which isn't necessarily a great source, right? I mean, it's not a professional source. Not to say that, you know, when Walter Cronkite read the news that he was a, a source beyond um, uh, beyond suspect, right? Like, I mean, old corporate news that had, <laughs> certainly had its downfalls, but uh, it is something, there is a real difference between you're, when the people you know are curating your feed for you in some ways. Yeah, and there's also the way that the kind of advertising cycle works if you can blow up news about one thing making sure that the person who wrote it or the advertisers responsible for it make a lot of money off of it you can incentivize more news about that topic right right which if it's artificially done once feeds that money back into a system that's going to continue to do that hence like breitbart hence all the Macedonian. yeah i would argue there's a causalities in the other way right like i think it's more that I think someone, and you can see this, I think Trump is a wonderful personification of this, I think Steve Bannon is true the same way, um, is that they threw out a bunch of feelers and they realized that there was a really rabid um, or really active base that was in search of and really responded well to this news. And so if you could make money off this niche, uh, if you could make up for uh, lack of popularity, make up for numbers with intensity, once again, you would actually really cater to that, so they would cater. Well, but also the news aggregation sources, right? Like to the extent that you can use a bot to artificially generate, you know, to raise a, a story's profile, then it just creates a loop, right? Right. Like the the article gets raised up higher than it ordinarily would be based sure. on, you know, like actual interest. People click on it because it's high, and they're like, "Well, I guess people care about this." Yeah. Everybody clicks on it, whether they read it or not doesn't matter. All that money gets funneled back to the advertisers, and then all of a sudden you've created, you've paid these people who have written this particular, you know, possibly spurious article, possibly like libelous. Well, yeah. I mean, I again, I think I could probably argue about how little or how much the bot can can autonomously generate content, right? Like you, you have to have a pop, a bot that's trained. Um, to elicit responses, right? And yeah. that's, I mean, he, I mean, so what does the bot do? How do, so there's a back and forth, there's a feedback loop that says that, okay, well, what is a bot? A bot will have, engage in a thousand iterations of a behavior, and it's yeah. the iteration that gets the most response that that bot then, uh, then responds to and, no, and sure. adapts to. So it's a one arm banded kind of algorithm yeah, in some yeah. ways, yeah. Um, so I guess the question is, um, going forward, rather than talking about the indictment and the Trump presidency going forward, what do you see? What do you see happening? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I I think people are going to see what they want to see out of these indictments. First of all, they're mm-hmm. they're not necessarily going to take it as uh, crimes were committed and. 
people are paying for the crimes that they yeah. committed. They're going to see it as politically motivated, mm-hmm. and therefore, you know, one way or the other, either damaging to my guy or supportive of my party. Right. Uh, will, will celebrate or you know deflect as their impulses lead them. Right. Right. Uh, which hardens people to their point of view and is not necessarily great. Right. Right. Uh, an indictment without an explanation of why it's bad or how it happened or the history of it, the story of it is unfortunate. We need more context yeah. for this to actually stick. We need to we need people to understand why supporting Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine was yeah. such a bad thing for an American to do, right? Why taking money, you know, why not registering as a foreign uh, lobbyist in America and taking vast amounts of money from foreign entities is something we should police why it's bad for both parties why it does a disservice to democracy why it's considered you know a act of I guess crime it's a crime so. right I think and what I would oh another way I would think about it is what is important out of this process believe it or not I'm certainly no fan of Trump but yeah. it's not whether or not Trump has to step down early right this is a, actually one of the least interesting and least least important outcomes of what could happen out of this. What is important is that, like you said, we tell the story of what happened, yeah. and by telling that story, we learn not to allow that to happen again, yeah, right? To investigate all the ways our system was weak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, whether it is how we uh, process votes or how we allow information about our political system to be influenced by external actors, um, how we, whether or not we allow for collusion or corruption in the same way Trump is is a way of focusing our attention but I think in a lot of ways it's not the listeners test of whether or not justice was served right mm-hmm. and I think you'll come from it at different angles it is what is really important here is that somehow American democracy is able to bridge this new technology this new ability to influence this new global era and a lot of people talk about globalization in terms of how it affects jobs but it is really about in a way, in a way, how it affects how we perceive the world, right? And the way that globalization has affected the information and our perception of our world around us. How whether or not democracy and American democracy is very old and kind of conservative, whether or not it can take on this new challenge. Yeah, we need just new terminology to talk about kinds of democracies too, like whether you have an open democracy or a closed one, whether right. your your system is. Uh, heavily influenceable as America's system turned out to be, or more, I don't know, locked down than, like, say, France's or, I suppose, Norway's. Yeah, and I don't want to get away from France, but I, uh, because I think it's a good point, but I actually don't think that we were heavily influenceable, but I think, like, we had a very, we had some very keen pressure points that were easily... Right, that's true. Yeah, Yeah. I think there's something about how, how something like alternative news sources have sprung up and how maybe there are groups that are easily influenceable and do are, are willing to hear certain narratives. I think that makes us vulnerable to outside influence. But, you know, it's absolutely fitting that we talk a little bit about France. I was just in France last week, um, and we wanted to talk a little bit. You mentioned this a couple of times, I think even on our podcast, about how it feels like France is actually a little bit more resilient or a little bit more resilient to um, the kind of influence that we saw in the American election. Yeah, I mean, I would say they have a, a, a longer history 
of, I guess, like, uh, you know, 200 years of, of critical thinking with respect to news. And uh, they also have, like, a, a really strong protest culture. Yeah. So the, the youth there is active and engaged and uh, in strange ways, not, not specifically American ones. We wouldn't really recognize it, right? They're very, very far left. I mean, there's, like, a very strong Communist Party presence. In yeah, there are still places in Paris called, like, Stalingrad. Yeah. And, you know, that was in some Not ways... Not Leningrad. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, the Cold War was fought intellectually in Paris, right? So they they are more conversant with a lot of the tropes of disinformation than we are, right? Yeah. Uh, They've just gone through it, and they're more cynical about these things. Uh, We're kind of new to the way in which European disinformation creates weird political fracturing. We've been kind of insulated by having our two-party system that just kind of moves slightly back and forth between center-right and center-left, you know, every election. So Paris is used to extremities and understanding how they work and, you know, attempting to thread the needle there, but, you know, they they just are more familiar with different kinds of of news and, and who benefits and who gains, and they have a more cosmopolitan, you know, influence... Yeah, I mean, this is a fascinating thread. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about it, and maybe more, and maybe in the future. But the example that I thought was really interesting that you brought up in the past is that we went through a certain amount, a series of elections, right? Uh, we know the U.S. election, Brexit vote, but also the French election. And no doubt there, were, there was an attempt for uh, governments like Russia and maybe others to influence it. And it was very clear... Um, that there was some sort of influence in the U.S. election or attempts to influence the U.S. election. Same thing with Brexit. Um, but whether that didn't quite register in terms of, of how the French elections were conducted, and no doubt Russia or um, other governments, would have, external governments would have tried to influence the French elections, but it doesn't seem to have, say, um, at least it seemed like the French electoral process was somewhat resilient to that influence. Yeah, I mean, first of all, there are two part, there are two stage electoral presidential election. Sure. I think it's very smart. It's a great like development. You know, I guess the French Revolution resulted in some good things as far as you know trying every possible kind of government. They got some things. Right. <laughs> I like fashion. Yeah, 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 quick, yeah, quick fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 fucking tried it. Whatever you think is, you know, a good. They've done rank choice. They've done it all. Right? Yeah, like, and they've settled on this. Like they get it out in two candidates, and then you pick between two. Right, you have no choice. Yeah. yeah. You have to pick one or the other or not vote, you know? Right. Uh, which I, I think is interesting because it does kind of eliminate the rat-fucking process of third parties, right? You don't have, like, the trying to split the vote sure. once you get down to that process. And then eventually you have to make whatever the most rational or good decision is no. or not vote, you know? Right. Either way, uh, I think that's a good system, first sure. of all. I think that's a system that uh, keeps your election, you know, free from a lot of outside influence or... Uh, bad faith political right. conversations uh you know vote for the what was what did they vote for the crook not the uh, not the fascist <laughs> that was the uh, <laughs> uh anyway i think that's important i also think the french language has something to do with their you know uh, resilience online right it's hard to impersonate someone french yeah. much harder than it is to impersonate someone uh american which is quite trivial we've discovered right even our political leaders seem to be impressed i mean yeah i think it's it's easy i mean french or american language is so prevalent right um this is if you want to treat uh train a chat bot or do ai like 
the language, the default language that you force a machine to learn is English. So like a lot of people, and it's usually American English because a lot of the coding languages, a lot of the technology put forth by... A lot of the platforms, from yeah. Reddit to you know, Instagram yeah. to yeah. So Facebook. It's, yeah, so much of the internet is dominated by American English. It's easy that if you want to train a machine to be able to speak a language, it's probably by default going to be American English. Also, the profits come back to America for these like inflated social media presences, right? Twitter, Facebook, Google, they don't have as sure. much of an incentive to police these things. They might as well have millions of fake people on them. It, it increases their margins, right? It's not yeah, bad. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I quite agree with that, but yeah, that's fine. There's definitely an incentive there. In, sure. in a way that France has an incentive to you know hold these, com- these American companies accountable for things that would damage France, right? Hence their protected uh, publishing industry and the right to be forgotten in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. There's just like a more robust, uh, I guess, policing of maybe the follow-on damaging effects of the internet that we have, we've had such a utopian vision of what the internet can do. We haven't really considered the ways it can be co-opted or used against us politically, right? Right, absolutely. Like we're having, we're being forced to be less naive about um, the effects of the internet. actually, I think a lot of, um, a lot of what we're seeing in terms of, I think college activism is, is the results of having raised a generation on un- the unfiltered internet. Um, so sensitive. Yeah, or just, you know, they benefit from being perceived as sensitive. I don't yeah. know how sensitive they are in reality. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm sure they're that's Americans. Right. They, like, they, yeah. like, they like porn and violence just as much as everybody else. Yeah. But like, at least publicly, you want to seem as if you are like sure. a very, very like with it, hip, woke, emotional, yeah. s- sensitive person. Yeah. I've never encountered this person in real life. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they look great on television. Yeah, and they seem to they seem to be everywhere on the internet. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think... Uh, is anything else you want to talk about in terms of the ramifications? No, I mean, it's just... I, I don't think there's... You know, people seem to be... There was a celebratory vibe today, um, yeah. and at least in some circles of the internet. And yeah. I just look at this entire process, and it exhausts me. I right. feel very oh no we're just getting started this yes is gonna... and we have to think about it that way if we really want to be honest it's this goes far far beyond trump and we can't think about like if you think that the no matter what the outcome ends in 2024 or 2020 or 2018 it's just not true we are in a new age trump signaled some aspect of it but effectively one of the big things that we have yet to tackle as a culture or as a society or even as a world is how we deal with information in this age where so many people have access to one another and how we haven't figured out how to police it or if we should police speech or political speech or political influence. Yeah, and how we make political decisions based on feelings is maybe not in our self-interest. It, it's a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, we're going to learn a new way to be political in the yeah. world that is totally public and also totally like, uh, I don't know, everybody's a, a senator from their own fucking living room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They get to promulgate laws. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we move on from politics, I just wanted to see if you wanted to do a quick hot take on what happened today. Yeah, no, I mean, so the, the, there's two stories. One is the, the uh, Manafort Gates indictment. The other one is the, uh, the announcement that George Papadopoulos, campaign advisor, had long ago was pled guilty uh, to lying to the FBI about uh, 
attempting to create a, a back channel with right. Russia. And this was sealed and for one reason or another was open today. Yeah. We, we don't know why yet. But. Yeah, I've, I've heard some uh, speculation. But let's uh, just review kind of the ground to truth. So uh, like we said early on, um, Bob Mueller, the special investigator appointed by the Department of Justice um, to investigate actually a wide uh, a wide kind of whatever agreement. it wants yeah, yeah effectively yeah, yeah. Um, related to collusion with Russia or perhaps even Donald Trump or even corruption um, it's not really clear where Bob Mueller is going to draw the line he finally uh, he uh, served indictments I guess yeah. on Friday um, the people who were subject who were actually arrested today um, were announced uh, one of them was Paul Manafort who ran the Trump campaign um, a man who was long ago known as having some really shady tri- shady ties to a dictator in Ukraine by the name and in of- Africa too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shady guy Paul Manafort uh, brought into the Trump campaign. Not really clear why, other than the fact that they needed someone to work with who was willing to take a hopeless case. I think um, supposedly he started as he was going to help. Uh, locked down the delegates, which he'd done for Ford, right. and he was so good at that. And Corey Lewandowski was that was you know he had punched that lady, the uh, reporter. Yeah. So he was in hot water. So Trump dropped Lewandowski and brought on Manafort. Right. Yeah. To to clean up or professionalize the yeah, campaign. Yeah. Um, and so and so that's uh, Manafort and I believe uh, who's the other person? His partner Gates. Yeah. His partner uh, yeah. Gates. But uh, yeah, they, he also worked on the Trump campaign and yeah. was not let go. So he was with part of the campaign all the way through sure. uh, the transition. But I guess um, part of I think part of the process, the prosecu- prosecutorial process rather, um, is that uh, is that Manafort has been squeezed effectively. A lot of his assets have been frozen because there's something very shady about either his declare his unwillingness to declare bank accounts. Or perhaps he was in fact involved with laundering. So this is the sort of the initial indictments. I think everyone admits that these are a way to maybe squeeze Manafort and maybe get him to roll over. Or no? I I mean I think that's what people are talking about. I disagree. I don't. I think this is. I think Manafort's being made an example of. I don't okay. think there's any deal on the table for Paul Manafort. Okay. I think Paul Manafort is somebody who they're showing the extent to which they're going to prosecute people and the lack of mercy they will have. Okay. I think the Papadopoulos announcement is uh, showing people that they have yet to to talk to or who have yet to come forward what they have, what they know. Right. That you, and also give them an incentive to come forward yeah, quickly. It's yeah, like we've had this guy maybe on a wire. He's been talking for you know. Yeah. So you better come quickly. Yeah. We know it's a, it's a it's a message to everybody out there who may have interacted with Papadopoulos since he turned. And yeah. We're, I think we're, I think we're not going to know who it is for a long time. Who this message was intended for, whether yeah. it was for Trump himself or. Um, uh, I, I don't think I don't think there's any there's going to be any deal on the table for Paul Manafort. Right. And I personally would be offended if there was. I mean, what he was you know guilty of doing and what he had already done uh, shouldn't be something that you could be able to you should be able to deal your way out of. Right. right. That to me is the definition of like a high crime. Oh yeah. And, and do you want to just uh, go over what you uh, what Paul Manafort's in? alleged to have done yeah if he's proven i mean obviously if he's proven innocent then he should be 
free to walk. But, but what he's alleged to have done is serve as the uh, political operative for foreign entities for large amounts of money, right? Yeah. And then also laundering money for these entities on the other side. So kind of making money both ways, right? And funneling it through Cyprus, right? Yeah. So and a lot of this, and so a lot of the indictments actually do have to do with his sort of dirty dealings with Ukraine before he joined the Trump campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I think people are expecting him to, or are hoping, I think, in their hearts, um, that they're squeezing the Ukraine part in order to get to the Trump part. And I think you're probably reading that accurately. No, they're just squeezing Manafort because um, he's dirty, and this is sort of an example of what we're going to do to you. So I, I think we're sort of in the initial stages yeah, of... we'll see, I mean. Yeah, of the indictments, it's probably best not to speculate too much. Yeah. Um, we're also certainly in the initial stages of how we as a body politic deal with such influence and deal with this um, ongoing issue. Um, the one thing I wanted to talk about, and it just keeps crawling, um, you know, to my eyeballs through Twitter um, is I wanted to talk a little bit about the dossier because mm-hmm. I think um, this is a way for us to transition into um, I think our section this time which is outside the bubble so sure. um, one of the things that I think is super interesting to read now is how conservative columnists or conservative commentators are reacting um, to uh, what was going to happen certainly I think there was a there were certain meltdowns, I think, on Friday when it seemed like indictments were, uh, were being served. Um, and perhaps one of the worst examples of this um, was the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this is um, – and I've talked about the Wall Street Journal editorial board on this podcast. Uh, I, and I will say that I have followed the Wall Street Journal editorials for maybe 20 years, and I've never seen them – just exhibit such bad judgment. I don't want to accuse them of being disingenuous or tr- turning a blind eye. I don't. I can't read their internal motivation. But in particular, a uh, reporter named Kim Strassel, as well as a report, uh, sort of the head of the editorial board, uh, Paul Gigo, um, they wrote an editorial. I think it came out on Sunday or Saturday that said Bob Mueller has to resign. And I think it's just a very, I think it's a very very poorly reasoned. Um, Argument based on effectively a lot of the sort of salacious or less well understood parts of the Steele dossier, uh, and the Steele dossier was a, is a piece of research um, that uh, sort of chronicles um, or attempts to gather various intelligence sources uh, uh, or reports about Trump's relationship with Russia yeah. uh, leading up to the election. Um, and the general thrust of this dossier is that for years the Kremlin has attempted to cultivate ties with Donald Trump. Way before they, they certainly didn't know that he was going to be president. They certainly didn't really expect him to be president, but they, they've been cultivating um, uh, cultivating ties. And one of the smaller allegations, but the one that got a lot of press, is that you know, apparently there's some tape where he paid underage hookers, I guess, to on something or other or whatever. Least interesting part about this. Um, but because itself, the, their salacious arguments, some of the stuff isn't proven, all of a sudden the dossier becomes suspect in, as an entire document yeah. in the eyes of some people. Um, yeah, the document is a compiled kind of primary source, like yeah. intelligence document, right? It's not supposed to be definitive. It's, it's what's known as raw intelligence. Yeah. So like, 
they, there's like initial pass of vetting so that, that it seems like this is a complete rumor or there's some justification to it um, and it's worth pursuing right yeah um, and so it sort of lays the groundwork of what could be possible venues that seem at least reasonably credible for further investigation right that's the steel dossier uh, and what had it, the Wall Street Journal did is they turned it into okay well anyone who's using this journal this dossier is at the uh, the dossier is unverified. Um, it's raw intelligence. It's not unverified, but now it's it's completely incredible. And anyone who touches it is now not only um, uh, not only uh, associated with bad faith research, but also collusion with the Russians because it's possible that uh, the Russians themselves were feeding some disinformation to Christopher Steele, and that in itself becomes collusion. So. Who used to be the head of the Moscow desk at MI6, by the way. So yeah. He does have a pedigree. He's not like <laughs> right. a guy. He's right, not right. Brian Wolf, private investigator. Right, right. He is uh, somebody who we would pay for this sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so now all of a sudden there's sort of a, uh, there's a forced equivalence uh, from conservative media that now, okay, well, whoever funded this research is colluding with the Russians. And I think that's that I think is absurd, right? Like, I mean, even at worst, they were they were trying to get they were trying to dig as all opposition does into this shady background of this their potential candidate, whether it be from Marco Rubio's Free Beacon or Hillary Clinton. Um, so, and if they got played by the Russians, that's them being a dupe, and maybe that was slightly dangerous. But at worst, they they were duped by the Russians because they were, I think, genuinely trying to collect intelligence. Yeah, the document didn't come out until after the election. And additionally, Donald Trump refused to do opposition research on himself, right, which is standard procedure for right. a candidate, right? You're, you're, you're supposed to do this on yourself so that your campaign manager and staff knows what's out there, what people might be saying about you, right? That yeah, was, absolutely. So, I, yeah, so again, so the Wall Street Journal is uh, throwing allegations of collusion, of being duped. Um, the dossier actually has proven, at least certain elements have proven to have some legs to them. Um, the FBI has said and gone back and forth and saying that, okay, well, yes, we informed some of our investigation. Um, so I think this is, you know, we're digging a little into the weeds, but there is a reason that the dossier is around. It isn't the same thing as collusion. It's, and I think for certain reasons I don't know, understand, but uh, institutions like maybe Fox News and the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, I'm not surprised with the Wall Street Journal, I was certainly very disappointed with um, coming out and really making some huge leaps, I think, in, in logic and reasoning to, to completely uh, throw asunder or throw under the bus the Mueller investigation. But I, I wanted to kind of end on a little bit more positive note. I think there are other people that I think are worth reading in the right-wing press. I think Ben Shapiro is trying to thread a, um, a middle ground, saying both people, both Rubio and Clinton, may have colluded or didn't collude, but they have the same Jeff. If you if you apply one definition, you can't apply it to the other without they're effectively on the same level. I think he thinks they both colluded. I disagree with Ben on that. Um, there are a number of other people. I think Noah Rothman from Commentary Magazine has some very interesting things to say. Um, but I, the one person that I think has long been actually pro-Trump, and so there was a, um, is a, a guy, Andrew McCarthy, um, who infuriates me every time I read him, and I read him all the time. So, like, I think you're, that... You're such, a, you're such a good liberal. Right, right, right. Like, I, 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 what infuriates me is 
is not his opinions, but yeah. how well he asserts yeah, them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and to confront them is yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I would I would one's, highly recommend Andrew McCarthy, who's who's somewhat skeptical about the Mueller investigation, and I think that's that's worth reading. Um, I'll put I'll post the what's the like. what's the thrust of his argument? What does he have to say? Well, I think he says I, I think he he says that oh, Mueller may have um, overstepped. Uh, the, uh, overstepped or may have uh, come a little bit more overzealous in terms of how far he took the indictment on Manafort. Manafort is certainly um, a little greasy, but probably not as bad as as, as Mueller says, or maybe he's, he's overstating it. It is certainly a corruption case. It may be a, a laundering case, but you wouldn't this, it, he doesn't feel like it's necessarily going to build. It's not the foundation to build on a case. I think that it effectively stops. I mean, if it were a cold, the Cold War was still on, it would be a treason case. Yeah, for sure. But it, and it's not. I think yeah. is the point, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like it, 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 yeah. it, it depends on time and place and context. Sure, but that's maybe that's the true. Cold War was on and we just didn't know it. You know, in which case, I, I just it, there is a reason why the State Department has classifications of countries and why sanctions exist and why you know you're supposed to register as an agent of these countries if you sure. choose to do so, right? Which is totally within your rights. You can start to work for Russia if you want. Yeah. You can sign up. You can. Decide that you're now a, a, you're a spin doctor for Russia and America, sure. and you can be paid by them. That's your right, but you just have to tell people that's what yeah, you are. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, there's a whole generation of would-be journalists who work for RT. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you know, Al Jazeera, the Guardian, even. I mean, yeah. these are you know totally possible to do this, but you, you know you gotta you gotta be upfront about it so that yeah. you don't accidentally run somebody's presidential campaign. <laughs> And you and you implicate him in all right. this shady shit you've done. And poor Donald Trump, you know, he didn't know. He didn't know. <laughs> he had he no didn't clue. Know. He didn't know. Just a highly recommended hatchet man. And all of a sudden, <laughs> now look where he is. <laughs> sad. Sad. Um, I think that's it for me, man. Anything yeah, else? no, no. It's uh, you know, it's it's an important moment. It's a very important yeah, moment. It's, it's just we're not exactly sure what to make of it yet. Yeah, I mean, his and there's a lot more coming. I what's think. your what's your like hot take prediction for how this shakes out? Do we see ten more indictments in the next month? I or? mean, the biggest question mark, and I think this is not me being original, is really how the administration reacts, right? Yeah. So there's always a question of whether or not Trump fires Mueller. If he does, that's a huge overreaction on his part, right? Because it doesn't seem like they're coming close to Donald Trump yet, um, and so I think. And at the same time, I wonder. I would assume that Mueller knows this, so he has to kind of he has to he has to slowly. If he's going to, if the target is Trump, then he has to slowly, slowly, slowly build his case until he pounces, right? Yeah. Right. And that's a that's a hard thing to time. That's a hard thing to be able to balance. Um, I'd say I'd say two weeks mm-hmm. long enough for people to really elucidate the uh, intricacies of the. Uh, working as an unregistered foreign agent mm. argument as to why this is conspiracy against America. Yeah. Then Flynn. Yeah. Right. Same deal, but for Turkey. Yeah. Right. Two more weeks than Donald Trump Jr. Right. Maybe, 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 maybe more than two weeks between yeah. Flynn and DJ. I think. I think he goes ballistic the minute they come for the family. He was, He'll. He'll huff and puff. Uh, until if you know his associates, but he's has really no problem. He'll be like, "Oh, I believe in loyalty." <coughs> he'll let them swing in the wind. Yeah, 
But the minute they come for his family, I think he's. But then it gives him a perfect out to resign, you know, because they've gone after his family. Well, I think I think what he's going to do is he'll try to file Miller, or he'll he'll give immunity, blanket immunity for crimes that haven't been committed. I think I think it <laughs> gets really. Ugly. I think it's going to get that ugly. I think it'll get really ugly. But there's still those like uh, the the uh, wealth of recorded materials, the apprentice tapes or whatever, right? Oh, some yeah. Hollywood producer is holding on and I feel like well, is the FBI's ultimate leverage against him should he, you know, no not see that well, maybe maybe this actually is how you know, Harvey Weinstein comes into play because yeah, like you know, maybe the FBI is squeezing like the yeah, child the, yeah. the pedophile. In order to get that like, yeah. get the uh, the apprentice reels of, of Yeah. Of, of, oh look at that. There's a subtle art <laughs> the FBI is <laughs> Like, um, all right, that's... That's what I would do. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we are strategic, strategic thinkers. Anyway, um, I think that's it for us. Yeah. Uh, thanks once again for everyone, uh, to everyone who listens. Um, thanks to Kevin Carter for producing our outro and intro music. And uh, thank you to my co-host, Miracle Jones. Oh, for thanks. I'm glad you're back in town. Yeah, that's absolutely. Nice to-